You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Matter, your host of Unite and Heal America. And uh, we've got a great guest on the program today, uh, Dr. Amgad Elgawani. Uh, doctor is a senior scientist and the leader of the Electrification and Infrastructure Group at the Argonne National Laboratory. Uh, doctor, uh, pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thank you, Matt, for having me. Tell us a little bit about uh, the listeners about the Argonne National Laboratory. Uh, my understanding is it's back in the Chicago area and it's funded by the Department of Energy. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the work that's being done at that laboratory. Sure, you are right. Argonne is the, one of the 17 national labs supported by the Department of Energy. In fact, Argonne is the oldest of the 17 national labs. Uh, at Argonne, we develop technologies relevant to your interest here, battery, chemistry, fuel cells, the catalysts, uh, uh, fueling methods, among others. We test technologies also in our labs. So we have some significant uh, testing facilities. We support developing codes and the standards for safe deployments of new technologies. In this case, it will be electrification, whether it is electric vehicles or hydrogen or fuel cells. We conduct modeling and analysis like we do in my group, uh, examining uh, future technologies with respect to cost, performance, environmental um, performance, uh, um, necessary supporting infrastructure. We identify key cost drivers, performance drivers, what R&D can make the biggest impact to bring the technology closer to markets. Uh, we support demonstration projects. We collaborate heavily with the industry. We help federal state governments to develop roadmaps, targets, identify opportunities, both near term and longer term to achieve their goals, whether it is energy security or um, um, better environment, low emissions, uh, addressing issues like climate change and uh, air pollutants. Well, that's uh, that's quite a, a portfolio. Tell us a little bit about just maybe how many people work at just the Argonne National Laboratory there. Yeah, Argonne has slightly over 3,000 uh, um, staff and researchers, a uh, um, large portfolio of uh, science and energy, uh, as I mentioned, testing facilities and uh, uh, we have uh, in the energy systems division where I belong, uh, we have over 300 researchers uh, covering different aspects of energy systems. Wow. Uh, well, I had some familiar with Argonne growing up because a friend of my parents was a scientist who worked at Argonne, and we used to sometimes have uh, family picnics out on the the uh, the grounds there surrounding there was a big park that surrounded the the laboratory. So I have fond memories of the place. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in the space uh, related to hydrogen and using hydrogen to uh, to help power our economy. Sure. So hydrogen has been a strong focus for us since uh, the early 2000s, 
in fact, it dates even before that among uh, our portfolio of examining uh, different energy systems. The, the original focus was on transportation. So we look at the different um, um, energy supply systems, the powertrain technologies. I mean, uh, what can be de deployed in what uh, vehicle class or application to make the significant uh, impact on achieving certain targets. Again, the targets could be energy security, it could be um, energy efficiency, it could be um, environmental targets, uh, among others. So we cover a large portfolio of energy systems, in particular for transportation. We look at hydrogen and fuel cells, uh, we look at battery electric vehicles, we look at biofuels, we look at uh, uh, other forms of energy uh, coming from uh, different sources such as uh, biomass, renewable sources, nuclear sources, uh, even waste, uh, some waste energy forms could be converted to be, provide a useful uh, energy supply to transportation or other sectors. Now, the hydrogen in particular, we cover different aspects. So one aspect is the economics of making the hydrogen, delivering the hydrogen um, to the end use. Uh, for vehicles, it will be basically getting hydrogen on board a vehicle to be used in a fuel cell to power the wheels to deliver a service the service in a light duty vehicle could be like miles driven from origin to destination or for freight applications. It could be um, per ton mile. It could be per passenger mile for some public transit forms, uh, among others. So you look at the economics. We look also at the environmental, where hygiene comes from is important. Um, and uh, there are different sources for hygiene uh, today and the potential other um, uh, feedstock energy sources to produce hygiene. What does it mean? And usually if you um, seek a clean energy supply, whether for hygiene or others, usually it comes at a premium. So we try to evaluate what is that premium. Um, and we try also to evaluate what benefit you get. Again, is that cost or the premium you pay for the clean energy so that it is a cost-benefit analysis and we understand if it costs you this, you get these benefits, whether it is uh, cleaner air, higher air quality, improved air quality, or reduced greenhouse gases, uh, uh, among others. Let me ask you, uh, I know the Biden administration had put forward a target, which they called an Earthshot goal, to create hydrogen at $1 per kilo. Where are we at in that process? And are you and the Argonne National Lab uh, involved in, in uh, helping meet that target? Yeah, I believe you are talking about the... Uh, hydrogen earth shots. I mean, so that was announced around June of last year, I believe slightly over a year now, that sets a target to uh, achieve uh, 
uh, hygiene um, production at one dollar per one kilogram in one decade. I mean, they call it one 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 basically. And uh, this is a target to to be achieved. And in the process of achieving that target, it requires several things to happen. First, you need to uh, have a supply of a clean energy source. Then you need to use it efficiently to produce the hydrogen. And there will be some equipment there that the cost of that equipment will have also to fit into the $1 per one kilogram levelized cost. So several things have to happen in order to realize the hygiene shop goal of one, 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 one dollar per one kilogram in one decade. And in that decade, there will be some significant scaling has to take place. Usually as you scale things up, you get the economies of scale. So um, costs will come down, you develop your supply chain, this will help also the costs come down in addition to R&D development that can improve the um, manufacturing, improve the efficiency, um, among others. So, so this is the goal for the hydrogen shot and there is a pathway uh, between now to reach that goal in one decade. And you might have seen the announcements of the hydrogen hub with support from the federal government to develop houses. There is, I believe, $8 billion there in the BIL. There is also $1 billion for the electrolyzer manufacturing. There is another half billion dollar for um, looking at uh, critical materials, looking at um, uh, things related to recycling and sustainable manufacturing. So this uh, should help um, the hydrogen shot achieve its goals within one decade. So uh, what, uh, what progress maybe had been made in the previous decade and kind of what's the trajectory as far as the cost currently, where it was maybe a decade ago. So we kind of get some perspective as to whether this is a, a viable goal. Um, and um, we will probably uh, take that question up after, after the break, but I did want to kind of tee that up for you and uh, say what work has been done by by your laboratory uh, in the last decade that's kind of made progress, I assume, in bringing the price of hydrogen down and, and kind of what are the, the things that you're working on right now that are going to uh, have us meet that Earthshot goal of $1 per kilogram in a decade. So you're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790, and this is Matt Matter and your host. We'll be back in just a minute with uh, Dr. Amged Alogawani, uh, sorry about that, doctor. Uh, and um, so stay tuned. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Matter, your host, and I have got a very great guest on the program, Dr. Amged. Elgawane and of the Argonne National Laboratory. And doctor, uh, you've specialized in uh, working on 
hydrogen and electrification. Uh, can you tell us, as I said before the break, uh, how the, uh, the U.S. had been doing in terms of creating hydrogen and at what cost maybe a decade ago and how, what's the tra trajectory to get us to one dollar per kilo in the next decade and maybe where it was at 10 years ago and, and where it, uh, where you see it going in the next maybe three to five years? What, what are the kind of technological developments that uh, you think are most promising? Well, this is a great question. Thank you, Matt. So I am not sure if I will surprise you to tell you that hydrogen is produced today near a dollar per kilogram. Although the process for producing the hydrogen at that cost um, is from natural gas. So basically you reform methane and natural gas basically strip the carbon out and produce the hydrogen. And you see strong correlation between the hydrogen costs, production cost with the feedstock costs, in this case, natural gas. So in the US, we have abundant of natural gas, especially in certain regions of the country. If you source the natural gas near $4 or less per million BTUs, you can produce hydrogen today at a dollar per kilogram. And for the audience to appreciate what is a kilogram of hydrogen, has roughly the same energy in a gallon of gasoline. So you could think really that we are producing an equivalent of the energy in a gallon of gasoline near a dollar. So, so this is a reasonable, very low cost, actually very reasonable cost. Of course, the issue there, like for other energy carriers, is that hydrogen does not exist in nature. We rely on a primary source, in this case, natural gas. And as we reform the methane in natural gas, we emit CO2. And um, the Earthshot is looking at a different supply of energy that is clean, that can produce the hydrogen at a competitive cost. And, um, and this is kind of the challenge there. So what are the pathways other than natural gas, steam methane reformation to produce hydrogen? What are other clean pathways to produce the hydrogen is the question here. So one pathway is to source, um, uh, the primary source will come from electricity. Of course, electricity itself is like hydrogen. It is an energy carrier. It does not exist in nature. So we need to source it from some primary source. This source could be wind, it could be solar, it could be hydro, it could be nuclear. All of these are non-carbon sources that can give you a very low carbon or near zero carbon energy supply. So similar to natural gas to hydrogen, if I can get that electricity low cost by bringing the cost of PV down, for example, windmill down, uh, or actually uh, sourcing low cost electricity will be key to achieve that $1 per one kilogram of clean hydrogen. The second element there that is important will be the equipment itself, the electrolyzer. So you supply electricity to split water, you split hydrogen from the oxygen, you could use the oxygen or vent it, but the hydrogen will be your kind of your energy um, product. And that electrolyzer capital will be important. Now you mentioned where we are. Electrolyzers today are slightly over a million dollars per megawatt. 
and to get near the dollar per kilogram, we need that capital to come down to below $200 per megawatt. Is that possible? Yes. I mean, again, um, the production scale now is in the megawatts. If you go to the gigawatts and build the supply chain and uh, expand your manufacturing, economies of scale can get you a long way through. Of course, you will need to advance uh, the technology through R&D and uh, through innovation. The last uh, component there will be the utilization of that capital, especially if the capital is significant. So how we can utilize the capital investment? We know solar and wind are intermittent in nature. How we can utilize the electrolyzer more time so that you could spread the capital over the product, in this case, hydrogen, will also play into your levelized cost of hydrogen produced. So there are several key factors there that needs to happen. And the beauty of hydrogen is that it has good synergies with the renewable in particular, the intermittent renewables, because once you convert the electrons to chemical bond in hydrogen, you can just easily store that and use it at well across applications. So hydrogen by itself, its nature can be an immediate energy storage, relatively low cost. Uh, so it has really that synergetic role to enable more of the renewable penetration while itself will be a clean energy carrier that could be used whether for transportation or across other applications. And uh, I, I'm not sure if you will be surprised or not, hydrogen is produced at scale today. I mean, we produce more than 10 million metric tons a year almost uh, two thirds of it goes for petroleum refining. So the car you drive and I drive today without hydrogen will not be possible to refine the oil and to produce the fuel at the specs needed for the different engines, whether it is cars or trucks or um, airplanes, jet uh, engines. All of these require certain grade of fuel and hydrogen is a key player into making these fuels. The second largest user of hydrogen today is ammonia production, which again is a key ingredient for fertilizer. So it plays into everything you and I consume. <laughs> so hydrogen is really kind of already playing a major role in what we do and in our energy system today, but its role can be expanded beyond these uh, current applications and again vehicle markets could be one uh, hydrogen for uh, replacing natural gas for um, process heat and heating application could be one uh, clean hydrogen even for refinery and ammonia like today could really decarbonize these industries hydrogen for uh, uh, for example, uh, synthetic fuel production, like sometimes you would say, well, can I electrify an airplane perhaps? But it will be indirect. So rather than putting a battery on the airplane or even a fuel cell and the hydrogen tank, you may use hydrogen today to synthesize a compatible liquid hydrocarbon using carbon from the air rather than from the ground to synthesize 
a compatible fuel to use existing engines, for example. So it could play into like um, different roles. It could be used as a reductant to produce steel, for example, rather than using coal in the blast furnace today, you could use the technology in existence today, actually, and a few plants actually exist in the US using what they call DRI for direct reduction of iron, using hydrogen as a reductant. So if you produce hydrogen clean, you could produce clean steel as well. So you could see it could play a role across sectors on one side enables more of the clean power on the other side decarbonized transportation manufacturing industry buildings i mean so it could really play that role the achieving the hydrogen shot targets will be key to be competitive and to be able to penetrate these different energy sectors and applications well, I appreciate that answer. I mean, it's uh, very comprehensive, and it uh, I think tells the audience that the uh, potential of hydrogen in so many different areas to help decarbonize our economy. And and uh, so I would just uh, kind of maybe go back to the transportation sector in terms of trucks, planes, trains, uh, and what efforts does Argonne have in in those areas or is it more indirectly just uh working on on producing hydrogen at a at a lower cost and the research related to to that um i tell you what we do in my group so of course we look at the energy supply and demand right we look at um, resource availability we look at infrastructure infrastructure for hydrogen will be key i mean because you want to connect supply and demand and um, the method you connect your supply and demand will require especially if you want to use hydrogen at scale, you need really to develop that infrastructure. In many cases today, hydrogen is produced near where it is used. However, you will see in areas where you have significant demand like the Gulf, because half of our refining capacity is in the Gulf, you will see significant hydrogen infrastructure. There is 1,600 miles of pipeline. There are three major caverns, including the largest in the world, for example. You will see several liquefaction plants. So where the scale exists, the hydrogen infrastructure investment will follow. And uh, it is kind of scale will be the key. Developing the scale will be the key for hydrogen infrastructure to evolve and develop over time. Well, tell us on the hydrogen hubs that are being developed. Uh, how will those work? Well, actually, uh, we're going to go to our break now. Uh, you've been listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Matter, your host of Unite and Heal America. And I've got uh, Dr. Amgad uh, Elgawani, and uh, he is the senior scientist at Argonne National Laboratories. And we'll be right back in just one minute. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America. And uh, we'll be back talking with Dr. El Gawani of the Argonne National Laboratories regarding uh, 
these hydrogen hubs that are being uh, funded by the government. And uh, doctor, if you could tell us a little bit more about uh, where that 8 billion is going and, and what is expected to happen after these hubs are created or how they're gonna be created. Thank you, Matt, for the question. This is an exciting time for hydrogen because of the uh, announcement for the hydrogen hubs in the uh, Congress uh, bipartisan infrastructure law, the BIL, which includes an $8 billion to create at least four hydrogen hubs. And the, the bill is trying to enable different clean um, sources to produce hydrogen. So some of these could be similar to what I explained earlier, like reformation of natural gas, but rather than letting the carbon go to the atmosphere, you capture it and store it. So this is what we call carbon capture and storage or CCS. This will be one pathway really to enable clean hydrogen. So basically use existing technology about capture the carbon and don't let it go to the atmosphere so that you do not contribute to global warming. The other um, hubs is the, uh, in the bell is looking for renewable sources to produce the hydrogen. And this will likely be through water electrolysis and uh, technologies like the electrolyzer uh, uh, polymeric exchange membrane called the PEM or alkaline technologies. And then the bill is also calling for some nuclear based and the nuclear again is a near zero carbon energy supply that can also be a low cost and they fit into how to produce hydrogen lower cost. And these could use a typical electrolyzer or use what is called the high temperature electrolyzer, such as the solid uh, oxide electrolysis cell, SOEC. And these are somewhat more efficient. They do not rely um, uh, on electricity alone, you use some electricity and some thermal energy, and it could be a very efficient way to produce the hydrogen. So these hubs will uh, resource different clean energy supply. And even if it is a fossil supply, like I mentioned, the, it will ask that the carbon be captured and stored back into the ground. Um, the hubs will also call for a variety of end use. Like I mentioned to you, hydrogen is not necessarily for refining or ammonia or uh, vehicles. It could really be across. So the hubs will call some of the hydrogen should be for power generation. Some of it will be for transportation. Some of it for decarbonize the industry, for example, um, steel production. So. I mean, different hubs could have different focus to demonstrate not only producing the hydrogen at scale, but also using it at scale. And in the- Let me ask you, uh, what, what is the expected uh, amount of uh, hydrogen that should be or could be produced from these four hubs, given that we're at 10 million tons uh, of production now, what's it likely to increase to? So the hubs, and they are at least four, but they could be more. And the, the minimum scale of hydrogen produced and used per hub will be 
as announced recently, 50 to 100 metric tons a day. So this will translate into something like 150 or 200,000 tons a year up to half a million ton a year. So it could be some significant uh, like scale that will deploy. Yeah, that's uh, substantially more than you said that we're at 10 million tons. Is that a day or a year currently? Well, 10 million tons was a year. So let us say if we say 100 tons per day times uh, you have 365 days a year, so multiply the two, then you are talking about uh, something in the ballpark of uh, actually yeah, close to 40,000 tons. So I misspoke earlier. So per hub, it could be 40,000 tons a year. Okay. Well, so a substantial increase in the amount of, of hydrogen uh, per year should be available to um, to users. Correct. Uh, so in terms of uh, the green premium that uh, we had talked about a little bit earlier, uh, this is something that uh, Bill Gates brought up in his book, uh, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, and I think others have talked about it and written about it as well, which is that differential between what it would cost to kind of use current technology versus maybe a, uh, a greener solution and uh, where that is currently in terms of using hydrogen. Uh, and I, I realize that's a challenging question to ask answer because you've got some hydrogen that is created from natural gas and you've got some hydrogen that's created from electricity that coming off of solar and wind. So. Uh, maybe we'll just talk about the the uh, hydrogen that's created by solar and wind and and um, hyd uh, like uh, dams and things of that nature, hydroelectric uh, projects. So I mean, if we look at this, so this is another great question, and I believe the key issue for us today, Matt, is the business as usual is not sustainable. I mean, we contribute to climate change, actually. We release greenhouse gases into the atmosphere at an increasingly rapid rate. And that business as usual practice, how we source and use our energy um, in our system, in our society is not sustainable. The difficulty here is that there is some significant social cost. The impact is not immediate, but as the impact is growing, I mean, the solution becomes more challenging and also more expensive. So our business as usual is not sustainable and there is some cost, hidden cost, that no one is paying for associated with our current practices, whether on energy recovery or energy use. So whether it is climate change, whether it is air pollution, whether it is uh, um, uh, things related to even resources like water use for energy and all of that. So, so how we can have a sustainable 
energy supply that is number one, consistent with resources we have. Number two, we could use it efficiently. And of course, renewable is attractive because we are not limited by the amount of energy. It is not like um, oil in the ground or gas in the ground that we can discover, but eventually it is a depletable source, but renewable is not depletable. How we can harness that energy that is clean, efficiently and cost effectively to serve our societal needs is the question here. And um, there is no single solution that will fit all. And uh, we working long in that space, you will see each uh, application could have a specific solution that is fit for it with, when we talk about uh, clean energy supply and use and what technology and all of that. So, so the bottom line is that the business as usual today is not sustainable and we are looking for something sustainable sustainable for the environment, sustainable for security, sustainable economically, sustainable even socially. I mean, we, we want really um, energy equity. We want affordability. We want uh, environmental justice to all. I mean, we would like all income levels to be able to use clean energy and enjoy a clean environment. So all of that actually it comes down to me and you and the others trying to first be aware of the issues and the problems and the challenges and the two to be proactive and uh, uh, take actions to help ourselves and the future generations to have a sustainable energy supply and use into the future. Well, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I guess the question is, uh, the the investment that uh, both government and industry can be making to kind of uh, make those solutions a reality. What uh, what work uh, have you been doing with uh, industry? And kind of just give us a brief overview because in a minute we're going to go to a break. But uh, maybe you can get started with that uh, that answer before we go to break. So we engage in, with industry in different, uh, through different venues, one of which is some government uh, industry partnerships. For example, the US Drive is a partnership between DOE and uh, automakers and the energy industry, including uh, power utilities, to come together and um, uh, think in a non-competitive way about the future of energy systems. And in many cases, we develop studies together. And this way, like industry or government will not work in silo. And there will be some understanding of the goals and how the government can help, how the industry can contribute. So well, that's, uh, that's a great example of uh, our government and industry working together. Uh, when we come back uh, from the break, doctor, we can talk more about that. You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Matter, and we'll be right back with you. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Matter, and your host of Unite and Heal America. And we've got uh, Dr. El Gawani from the Argonne National Laboratory here with us today. 
And uh, doctor, we were talking before the break about how industry and, and your national laboratory are working together. I know that there have been a kind of a consortium of car manufacturers that have worked on creating hydrogen cars um, uh, for quite some time and, and they've rolled them out. And I actually drive a hydrogen car, the Toyota Mirai. Uh, and I know there are others out there on the road and uh, other car companies are studying it uh, as to whether they're going to roll it out. Uh, what's the, the National Laboratory doing with kind of uh, transportation companies to help them uh, use this technology? Yeah, thank you, Matt. So I will pick up from where I left. I mentioned the partnership between the government and the industry. I mentioned the US drive. This is mainly for light duty vehicles. There is another partnership called the 21st century truck partnership, 21 CTP. This is for medium heavy duty vehicles. And this is where the government brings their information from research, development, modeling, analysis to inform the industry about uh, where, where is the value proposition for a given technology deployment pathways, whether it is battery electric, whether it is hydrogen fuel cells, whether it is others, biofuels, uh, synthetic fuels. Uh, so this is where the partnership becomes valuable, that interaction and the openness, again, in a non-competitive basis, basically sharing information is key to working together toward a certain goal. In this case, deploying clean energy, supply chain, and the powertrain technologies. Um, Argon itself really partnered with different industries and utilities in projects. Uh, I mean, basically to examine the potential of a new technology deployment or um, energy storage or uh, um, new onboard storage, for example, for fuel cell vehicles. I mean, uh, developing protocols for the safe use of a new technology, uh, testing the technology at the lab and giving information back about how the technology can improve. Uh, sometimes we develop IPs in certain technologies and they make them available to the industry through funding from DOE co-shared with the industry to take that technology from the lab to um, commercial deployment. So all of these are activities that are going to try to bring science to technology and technology to markets. Well, that's a great work. Uh, one of the things that we had talked about a little bit was aviation and and what efforts are being made to decarbonize the aviation sector, which uh, is challenging, but uh, I know they're working on uh, using battery technology, hydrogen technology, synthetic fuels. Uh, which of those are farthest along and which one shows the most promise to you and, and the, and the laboratory to, uh, to uh, bringing us to a, maybe a, certainly a less carbonate, carbon creating aviation sector? Yeah, this is a great question, Matt. So, I mean, I believe you are alluding to, I mean, there is no single solution that fits all, right? I mean, and this is something we learn and through our modeling analysis, understanding of the technology, you will see certain market segments uh, 
could uh, be um, uh, more readily embracing a technology over the other and different uh, um, different end use application could favor one form of a low carbon solution versus the others for example we know like light duty vehicles the batteries are attractive simply because most people really have an energy source to plug and to charge the batteries hydrogen fuel cells are attractive too but of course the fueling infrastructure needs to develop and we see efforts in california to build an initial like network of fueling stations to enable the deployments of these vehicles medium heavy duty where you demand more energy storage because you travel more miles and because you consume more energy because of the size of the trucks and what they carry and what they move then hygiene becomes very attractive because the cost of hygiene storage is of course much lower than a battery storage but you have an overhead that overhead is your fuel cell plus a battery power train and that overhead can be significant or less significant depending on how much energy storage you need on board so certain applications will find like um, hygiene fuel cells are very attractive this will be like uh, buses, class A trucks, um, long haul trucks, among others. And then you go to certain segments like aviation or cross ocean marine vessels where you demand even much, much more energy. And also the weight of the transportation mode, like an airplane, you need to be as light as possible. So you need to carry as much energy as possible and be as light as possible and this will favor a drop in hydrocarbon whether it is a biofuel or synthetic low carbon fuel actually this could be attractive for marine we know they are examining now ammonia as another zero carbon energy carrier to power these marine engines so different applications may have different solutions for decarbonization and the we know the industry, we know the government, uh, whether federal or state, are pursuing all technology pathways to enable these technologies in their market segments where they are more attractive. Tell us a little bit about the research that you and your group are doing in particular and, and uh, what's, uh, what's new and exciting in that uh, area. So what is exciting today is that there is a strong awareness of the problem and the need for immediate solutions. I mean, we need to start today rather than in the future. And uh, we see ramp up in effort, in support, in funding, and again, spanning all um, technologies, whether it is fuel supply or energy supply chain, or whether it is infrastructure, or whether it is end use application, including different powertrain technologies, for example, for transportation. And we have strong engagement in all of the above through our modeling analysis. In essence, in my group, we try to evaluate the prospect of the technology, its readiness to deploy in the market, it's uh, mm, what will make a good business case in what application. I mean, how much carbon you could reduce 
And uh, because we are funded actually through the government, through public uh, support, we make our models and reports and the analysis all in public domain. And it is really satisfying that we see our models are not only used in the US, but globally, like our environmental model named GREED. GREED stands for Greenhouse Gases Regulated Emissions and Energy Use in Technologies is being used by over 50,000 users globally. Government agencies like California use GREED for the low carbon fuel standards. So our models, our tools, our hydrogen delivery model known as HDSAM for hydrogen delivery scenario analysis model which looks at infrastructure deployment, fueling methods, techniques, impact of onboard storage, all of that is also used by thousand globally. So what we can contribute in that space, whether it is model or analysis or information about where are the cost driver, where R&D money can bring the biggest impact to reduce costs or improve performance to come closer to market. So all of these are rewarding contribution that we feel are important to the future of our energy system. Well, that's great work because obviously if you're empowering 50,000 users through your grid model and, and thousands of others through your hydrogen modeling, then that means that they're going to be able to make better decisions based upon good information, good science that you've created which uh, then directs money and policy, uh, hopefully in the right direction so that uh, we don't go down some, some dead ends, uh, wasting time and money that we don't really have. Uh, because as you said repeatedly, we've got to act now. So we need to make the right decisions now so that uh, the future will turn out to be one that uh, is that we can live here on this planet. So uh, let's do our best to take care of it. Uh, doctor, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for uh, sharing your your knowledge with the audience. It's been great having you. I'd love to have you back on at some time in the future to to talk about what's uh, what's happening, you know, whatever, six months from now or a year from now. Thank you much for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks again, doctor. El Gawani from the Argonne National Laboratories. Uh, doctor is a, a great scientist doing incredible work there, helping, uh, helping our country and, and the world, as you heard, uh, use the work that he's doing to, to roll out technology that will hopefully lead to a sustainable future for all of us. You are listening to KABC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America, and we'll be back next week. So have a great week, everybody. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968.